I need to tell on myself just a little bit. Wednesday mornings, I'm in a men's Bible study. Uh, Eddie is in there with me and a couple of other guys from the church and some guys from other churches. And we meet at 6.30 down at Almont Dental. And we usually park it in a YMCA parking lot across the street. And as we were leaving that Bible study, it was overcast. It was still a little dark. It was about, it was about quarter till eight. And I was walking across, and I hit the automatic start on my fob for my truck. And I could hear in the distance my truck started up, and I was walking over there. And I got right up to the truck, and I hit the button to unlock the door, and nothing happened. And I thought, well, my battery can't be dead because my truck, I heard my truck start. And so I hit it again and again, you know, and you think if you hit it harder, it's going to work, and it didn't work. So I said, well, I'll just punch the code in. It's got the code on the side. I punched the code in, and nothing happened. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? What is the matter? And I stepped back, and then I noticed that the truck wasn't running. I stepped back and looked at it, and I said, this is my truck. And I looked down at the wheel, and I thought, somebody changed the wheels on my truck. <laughs> my truck was three slots over. It was running. Lights were on. In fact, they were blinking where I'd been hitting. They were still blinking from where I was hitting the, hitting the fob. And, you know, it just kind of dawned on me that day, Mark, you ain't as young as you once were. And maybe I was kind of having a little senior moment there. And, you know, age is a big thing. And, and I began to think. In fact, I don't know, some of you guys noticed the, the quarterbacks in the NFL, how young they look today. John, do you notice how young? They, they look like little kids. Don't? I've got a doctor, one of the specialists that I go to. This kid, he's still in high school, I'm sure of it. And you know, more and more of the people that I deal with, I come to realize a lot of them are a lot younger than me. Especially even in professional situations, you know. And, and I'm, I'm starting to realize I'm in a different generation. And I think a little differently. And I communicate a little different. There is a gap between me and many of the people that I have to deal with. Uh, especially in church, there are so many young people that are coming. And out in the world, there's even more young people that we have to deal with. But you know what? Jesus has called us, the believers, to connect to everybody. No matter what age they are, He wants us to reach out and to connect with all ages, with all generations. Statistics show, though, that less and less of the younger generations are coming to church nowadays. Saw a study just the other day showed about 27% of those in America who are under 40 are coming to church. And of those under 30, less than 20% are coming to church. That means only one out of every five people under 30 years old is coming to church today. Folks, that should not be. That's wrong. The numbers have got to go up. And God has called us, the believers, to do something about that. We started this series. This is our three-year plan. There are brochures available if you didn't get one or you lost yours. We have plenty. 
and there's some at the Welcome Center, and we've been preaching through the inside of this that shows the biblical basis for this plan that we've developed. We've been through this first panel, Engage Jesus. That has to do with discipleship, and that has to do with us here in the church growing spiritually. We've talked about, over the last three weeks, we talked about Engage Bristol, and that has to do with our community, about how we're going to get out into the community and, and reach our community. And today we start this last panel of this brochure, and we're talking about Engage the Next Generation. Because we truly do want to engage them. And there are three words under here, connect, invest, and entrust. And we're going to talk about how we do that as a church over the next couple of weeks. And today we're on this idea of connect. It says the first step to reach the next generation is to connect. Studies show that younger generations are becoming less involved in the church. Like Jesus, we need to know who they are and to go where they are. We will emphasize and build relationships with the next generation and their families. And that's truly, as a church, what we want to do. We want to find ways to reach the next generation. So I raise this question today. How do we connect the next generation to the Lord? Because that's what He wants us to do. He wants us to, to reach out to them and to connect them to the Lord. That's not an easy thing to do. There's no magic bullet. There, there, you can't, there's not something you order off the Internet that's going to instantly connect people to the church. There's no one program that you can start that's going to connect the next generation to the church. You know how it's going to happen? It's going to happen when one-on-one -on -one we go out and we reach younger families and we help bring them into the church and connect them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on us. And Jesus has called us to go and make disciples. And so we gotta, we got to work on that. we got to begin to reach out. This week I was excited as I came across this website totally by accident. Anybody recognize, anybody buy these products? Uh, Meguiar's Auto Care products. I have a couple of different ones in my garage. Uh, this is one I picked up yesterday at Walmart. It's an interior detailer. It puts that shine on your dashboard. And, you know, they make a quality product. This company's been around since 1901. Barry McGuire runs this company now. His grandfather started it in 1901, back making products for those old Model Ts, you know. And, uh, and Barry, uh, he's running it today. His father ran it, and now he runs it. It's a multi-million dollar corporation. What I didn't know and what I was pleased to find out, Barry McGuire is a believer. He believes in Jesus Christ, unapologetically, in fact. And he has now shifted his focus from pretty much running that company to a new ministry that he started called Revival Outside the Walls. And he's trying to bring revival in the United States outside the walls of the church to reach the next generations for Jesus Christ. But Barry tells his own story, and he says, you know what, me and my wife were serving in the church, and we were miserable. He said, we didn't, we, we didn't have any joy about us. We were just working, serving, working our hearts out. This was back in the 70s. And then he said, one day we had a luncheon at our church, and we had a special guest speaker. His name was Herb Ellingwood. He was the, the legal secretary for President Ronald Reagan in his cabinet. 
And he came to speak at their church. And Barry got to sit up on the stage with him. And he thought, when he sat down, he thought, man, I'll get to pick his brain. I'll get to learn all about Ronald Reagan and find out how, you know, how Reagan is as a person and things. And McGuire said that this Ellingwood guy, he couldn't shut up talking about how he had shared his faith with different people. Everywhere he went, he shared his faith. He said he, was, he talked about sharing his faith with senators and sharing his faith in cabinet meetings. And, share, and he said he began to notice how happy this guy was. He was full of joy. And, and Barry said, I thought immediately when I met him, I want to be like him. I want to have the joy that he's got. And Barry said, I realized that day I didn't have any joy because I wasn't sharing Jesus with the world. And he made a whole new commitment and started these ministries. He's got a, he's got a website out there now. It's called, uh, uh, I thought I had it memorized, Ignite America. Ignite America. Go check it out. I haven't looked at everything on there, but it looks exciting to me of what he's going to do and what we need to be doing. And that website can help us to reach out and connect with these next generations. You know what? The Bible can help us too. And so we need to get into the Word of God and find out what it has to say about connecting with the next generations. I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 78 today. Of course, the Psalms is a collection of prayers and hymns and, and poems written in Hebrew poetry, and we won't get into what that's all about. But it's the longest book in the Bible. There are some 150 Psalms, and many of them were written by King David, 73. But there are a dozen of them that were written by a man named Asaph. Asaph. And Asaph was a Levite. His family was in charge. Uh, him and, and two other families were in charge of the music at the temple during his day. And he wrote some psalms. And one of those is shared here, Psalm 78. In fact, this is a psalm of instruction. It gives some instruction for what the people of God are to do. And wouldn't you know, it talks about sharing faith with the next generation. So we're going to study this psalm. And I'd like for you to read with me here the first couple of verses, starting at verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, Things we have heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. You see, Asaph starts out. Now remember this. This is inspired by God. This is not just the thoughts of Asaph. This is inspired what God gave him to write. It's in our Bible. And I want you to notice uh, what he's talking about. He opens with this idea of teaching hidden things. I think what he means is forgotten things. Things that are from old. Things that we've kind of set on the back burner. Things we've heard, things we've known about, but things we just kind of have hidden in our heart. We've forgotten to, to bring them up to the next generation. But this psalm shows us how to engage, to connect. To engage our young people so we connect with them. And there's good reason to connect with them. You know, a lot of times we think, well, this... this this generation, they're just going to hell in a handbasket, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. God has not given up on them. We sang about that, didn't we? And we don't need to give up. 
But what we do is need to figure out how we can go out and we can connect the people. I want to put a chart up here. This is from the Barna Corporation. They do research on behalf of the church. Notice the four generations. Gen Z is those 8 years old to 24 years old. Uh, millennials, those are 25 to 39. Gen X, 40 to 58. And the boomer generation, the baby boomers, that's my generation, 59 to 77. And the questions, this, this represents three questions that they ask. One is, would you like to grow spiritually? That's the first line there. Even Gen Z and millennials, 73% said they would. And 77% of millennials said they would like to grow spiritually. And if you look at the next line, it asks, uh, are, you, are you certain or think a spiritual supernatural dimension exists? 83% of Gen Z and 83% of millennials, these younger generations, say yes. The last one, do you believe in God or a higher power? 77% yes, 76% yes. So we can't just think, you know, the, these young generations, they don't care about God. Yes, they do. They want to grow spiritually. They want to know God. But they need somebody to teach them and somebody that's going to tell them about what God wants with their lives. But I'll tell you something else they want. They don't want fake piety. They don't want a bunch of people, you know, that dress up and think they're holier than thou and look down on them. What they want is people that have real faith, people that are practice love and grace and forgiveness, and people that want to build relationships and friendships and want to reach out and help and do things for the Lord. We've got to be those people. We got to not look down. We got to look across the way and connect with people to help them. Let's move on and look at the next verse there, verse 4. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. So, what I want you to see here is telling us to tell of the greatness of the Lord. Notice he says, we will not hide them. The them there, think about what that is. That's the things he was speaking of in verses 2 and 3. It's the hidden things, the things from old, the things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. It's the stories about God, about the greatness of God. He's saying, look, we're not going to hide thee. We've got to get out and we've got to tell how great God is. You know, God's not a spoil sport. In fact, if you read the Bible, he's a pretty amazing guy. He's, he's done some amazing things, and he's still doing amazing things. He's changed a lot of lives, and he's still changing lives. I see a lot of them out in this congregation here today whose lives have been changed because they came to know the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. This, this psalm says, don't hide it, tell it. Tell your descendants Tell the next generation about this God that we worship, about how great he is. He says, tell the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done, his greatness. You know, God wants you to share with the next generation 
He wants, you, he wants you to share how he's worked in people, how he's worked through people, how he's worked through you, what he's done in your life. We talked last week about sharing your story to lead into sharing God's story with people. He wants you to share. He wants everybody to know and not forget some of the great things he's done. You, you think about what he's done. You think about the flood. You think about Noah and what God did there. That's amazing what God did and how he saved Noah and, and started over with a, with a brand new set of people. You, you think about as you move on to, to God's people who expanded and grew and they were taken in slavery in Egypt but how God broke them out of Egypt and led them through the, the Red Sea. And they walked across on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian army was chasing them, he closed it in over on the Egyptian army and saved his people. How they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But what did God do? He fed them manna from heaven and quail and brought water from a rock to quench their thirst. You think on as you move down the line, you think about King David, this little... This little shepherd boy, how he killed Goliath the giant. You move on into the days of the New Testament, and you think about how he sent Jesus to come and reveal himself and, and show people who he was, to teach and preach like nobody had ever heard before. But then he went to the cross, and how he died to become a sacrifice for our sins but he was risen from the dead even though he'd been buried. And you think about how he took a ragtag bunch of fishermen and he started the church. A church, by the way, that's been going strong for 2,000 years now. We don't need to let God down. We need to continue to work to bring people to know that God of the Bible that does these amazing things. You know, I... I I came across a story this week. Greg Acropolis is a, is a minister, an author, and he tells a story about Marion Scherflet. Scherflet. Shirtlet. I had it down before I came up here. Another senior moment. Please forgive me. Shirt, shirtlet. Anyway, this lady, Marion, she's 75 years old. She lives out in... Uh, San Clemente, California, goes into a used bookstore, and she's drawn to this Bible. And she said, there's just something about that Bible, and she bought that Bible from that used bookstore. When she got it home, she began to examine it, and some papers fell out of it. And there were four pages ripped out of one of those old spiral notebooks, and it had a bunch of writing, handwriting on it. And she looked, though, and her name was at the top of the page. And as she examined that more closely, she recognized this was an essay she had written to get a Girl Scout merit badge 65 years earlier when she was 10 years old all the way back in, in, um, in Kentucky. How in the world did that paper, that essay, make it 2,000 miles across the country, get put in a Bible and be stuck in a used bookstore. She had no clue. But you can imagine how that touched her heart when she found that paper. It's almost like the Lord was saying, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back into my word. And there it was. Greg Acropolis writes this. 
Although it remains a mystery how the essay ended up in a Bible and is in a used bookstore halfway across the country, one thing is certain. When we look deeply into God's Word, we see evidences of our lives too. In the pages of Scripture, we see individuals just like us, people who pursue faith and hope in God, and people who, are, who battle depression and doubt and lust and pride. And we read the biblical stories about Abraham and Ruth and David and Mary and Peter, and we also recognize our own life story. You look into the Word of God and you look deeply, you're going to find that you'll see yourself in there. And you'll see that you're not the only one that's dealing with stuff in this world. So we need to share those great stories. Listen, the next generation would love to hear those stories about how God has truly worked. And it's amazing how relevant many of those stories are to today and how people dealt with things. And when the younger generations come to see and hear about God, it impacts them. You know, on Wednesday night, it's not just the young people that are impacted. I started a Bible study a few weeks ago on the book of Genesis. And we have about 25 people that come to that Bible study. And what's been amazing to me is how many people have come up to me each night after we finish and say, I never knew that was in the Bible. I, I never knew the book of Genesis talked about these kind of things. And we're just all being amazed together at what God is teaching in this old book, the first book of the Bible, and how he's working through that. And we're just getting started. We're just up to chapter 10. We, we, got, we got 40 more chapters to go of stuff that God has done and how he's brought us to where we are now. So it's not just the young people that want to hear the stories of the greatness of God, but the older people get something out of it too. Well, let's move on in our psalm, verse 5. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach his children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So I want you to see here uh, next that we are to teach the Lord's ways. He talks about the the statutes and the laws, that's a reference to the way God wants people to live. Uh, that's not just a list of rules. It's not just a list of commands that we should memorize, though we do have the, the Ten Commandments. All of that is based on two basic principles. And God says that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the Bible tells us, in fact, Jesus tells us that all of this Bible are based on those two principles. We say it like this in our mission statement for a church, that we want to love God and love people and serve both. And God is calling us to be a kind of people that will spread that love to other people. You know, if I could take that word, that's a biblical kind of love, and I could break it down into one word, one word that would signify what that love is like, it's respect. It's respect for other people. It's a way that we, we treat people with the kind of, of respect and love that we want to be treated with. You know, that's not taught in our schools anymore. But we need to learn to, 
to show this love and respect as we go about to teach our younger generations. And so often, the younger generations don't have a clue what it is to respect somebody. I heard about this mother that was, uh, she fixed a bowl of cereal for her little son, you know, elementary age son. He's sitting at the table. He's got that attitude that they sometimes get in the morning. No offense to any young people that are here today. But this little boy had an attitude. And he wasn't eating his cereal. And mom said, son, you need to eat your cereal. And the little boy said, why? You know, had that attitude. Why do I need to eat my cereal? And she said, because. You want to grow up and be super smart, right? He said, no, I want to grow up to be like dad. <laughs> but you know what? That little boy may disrespect his dad, but God doesn't. In fact, God lifts you up, fathers. He wants to hold you accountable. In fact, if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, he holds you accountable for teaching your kids about him. Listen to what this says. Ephesians chapter 6. It starts off, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. First of all, here, children, if you're in here today, what the Lord is telling you to honor, that is a form of love and respect for your parents. But listen to what it says in, in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That is, don't push them to the brink of anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, fathers, I'm going to hold you accountable to teach your kids the Lord's ways. To teach them how I want, you, how I want them to live. Now, if we're going to teach that, what do we got to do first? got to know it. That means we need to be reading God's Word and learning. You know, one of the guys in our Bible study, uh, he tells us every week, guys, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. We have to read the Word to learn how God wants us to react to situations. If we're going to teach other people, then we got to know. we got to know the Word of God. And I want to tell you something about kids. I learned this over the years. More is caught than is taught. In other words, you got to live it out. you got to live out what you learn from this book. And the kids will watch you, and they will pay attention to what you do. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to be like you. There's a song... I'm a big country music fan, and I do listen. Father, forgive me for some of those songs I listen to. Watching You by Rodney Atkins. Have you ever heard this song? He talks about driving down the road with his son in his car. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till the nuggets were gone. Green traffic light, I tur it turned straight red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went flying and his orange drink covered his lap. When my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S and I was concerned, so I said, now, where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. 
and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Verse 2. We got back home and we went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. I said, Lord, please help me and my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, through my son's, turned on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes and folded his little hands and he spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, now son, where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. You know how true that song is. And they will watch you, and they will emulate you. And fathers, God holds you accountable, but mothers, listen, it's not just on them. Because God said when you got married, the two became one. And though God holds the dad accountable, moms, we all need to look at how we live and how we teach our kids. Because this next generation, they're going to learn more from you than they were from anybody else. So we got to teach. Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. There may come a time when they rebel. You know, we learned in Sunday school this morning about the prodigal son. But guess what? He came back home and God received him. Well, what happens? Look at verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. You see, if you're telling the greatness of God, and you're teaching the ways of God, then, it says, they're going to learn to trust. And that's the third point. Trust in the Lord will be the result. You know, through, through consistent, sincere effort of telling and teaching, our kids are going to catch a glimpse of God. And they're going to learn to trust that God as they see you live out your faith as they see you deal with the tough times in life, and they see how you turn to God, as they see you give God all the glory when good things happen in your life, as they see you look to God when you make a mistake and, and when you mess up or, or when you even sin and you fall short of God's glory and they see you on your knees repenting. I'll tell you another story on myself. We... Uh, uh, when we were in Bible college, we didn't have a lot of money, and Robbie was about nine years old, and, and David was about five years old. MJ, he wasn't even old enough to walk yet. And so we were going to go camping, though, and we were going to go buy a new tent. And we went to Walmart, and we picked out a tent, and the great thing about this tent, I said, look, Robbie, on the front, it says, if you buy this tent, you get a free pup tent, which is a little two-man tent, little A-frame tent, and Robbie's eyes got big, and he said, me and David can sleep in there, right, Dad? I said, yeah, y'all can sleep in that little tent. And they had a picture of that tent in a box on the front of the, the big box that the big tent was in. 
And so we opened up to look and see if the tent, the free tent was in there, and we didn't see it. And we called the manager over, and he looked, and he said, I guess here's one right here. We'll just give you this one. And you buy this one, and you get that one free. So we checked out and got that all home, and we went to open up the big tent. We were going to set it up in the backyard, and, you know, little boys bouncing around. They were getting in the way more than they were helping. But anyway, they were excited. And we went to unfold that big tent and rolled it out on the ground. And inside was the little tent. Not in a box, but all the parts were laying there. And Robbie starts jumping even higher. Now we got two pub tents. I can have my own, and David gets his own. And I said, no, son, it don't work that way. We were only supposed to get one free tent. And we got to take this other one back. It was a teaching moment. And I said, come on, we're going to get in the car. And before we ever set the other one up, we got in the car, took that little tent, took it back and gave it to the manager, explained what happened. I said, because I want you to know if anybody else tries to buy this tent, the, the free one's on the inside. And Robbie learned a lesson that day. He learned about doing what's right, even when it could benefit you if you don't. We have to teach our kids, and the best way to do it is to show them so that they learn to trust in God. Because when they see you trust in God, and they see you giving praise to God, and they see you repenting before God when you mess up, well, it's going to have an effect on their lives. You know what that word trust means? It means assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. It means that you can rely on that person. And we've got to teach our kids how to rely, how to trust God. And we do that by telling them of His greatness, by teaching them His ways, and then they will come to trust. The last verse here, verse 8 in this section, says they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. You know, the history of Israel is they were up and down. They were sometimes faithful and most times not. And they strayed from the Lord and He punished them. And He's saying, I don't want you to be like your ancestors. I want you to learn to trust God. I want you to learn His ways. I want you to, to be told His stories so that you can become all that God wants you to be. And you know, the truth is, you don't have to be perfect. In fact, you can't be perfect. You, you, you just have to go at it the best you can because sometimes you're going to try to open the wrong truck. And sometimes you're going to demand that you get an extra tent and you just have to take it back. But after all, because we make mistakes, isn't that why Jesus had to die on the cross? But we accept that. And we find forgiveness in that. You know, the studies show, we saw on the screen, about 75% of them want a more spiritual life. And about 80% of them believe that there's a God. They just don't know who He is. And how are they going to know if we don't tell them? And how are they going to know if we don't teach them? And how are they going to learn to trust if they don't see us trusting? You know, there was a video I was reminded of of a mom who, um, who uh, 
She wanted to discipline her kids. She was mad. She was angry and was all caught on video. And she was so bad and she was screaming at her kids because of the disrespect and because of the disobedience that they had. And so what it showed her doing is she put their cell phone up on a stump out in the backyard and blew it away with a shotgun. It's all caught on videotape, I'm telling you. And she's screaming at them and telling them she's taking her role back as a parent. And I, you could see the, the picture on the kids' faces. And you know, what the, you know what it said to me? Those kids were saying, yeah, right. And they were angry. They lost their cell phones. That's not the way to do it. There's a better way. I read an article this week about this high school, Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. And there was big fights that broke out at this school. And apparently 23 of the youth got arrested and prosecuted because of these fights they had at the school. And some of the dads got together and they said, we got to do something. And this guy named Michael Lafayette, he said, we're going to start something. And we're going to call it Dads on Duty. And they set up a schedule, about 40 dads from that high school, and they agreed that a couple of them would be there at all times when that school was open. And they worked together, and they would just hang out at the school. They got permission from the principal, and they would be these dads on duty, and they would just hang out, and they would talk to the kids, and they would tell stories, and they would teach kids when kids had questions about how to do things. They would teach them, and you know what? They had influence on those kids. And since the time they started that, they haven't had any more fights at this school. You see, they were doing it the right way. And God's called us to be dads and moms on duty to look out for our kids and help our kids hear the stories and teach them the ways of God so that they will come to trust in God. And the only way we can do that the only way we can connect them to God is if we reach out and connect to them first. So let's pray about that. God, I thank you today for your love and your grace, your mercy. And I pray that you help us to be a people that will reach the next generation. That we'll do what your word tells us. That we, will, we won't let them forget the stories of your greatness. We'll tell those stories that we'll teach your ways. And Father, that we will, we will envelop in them a trust of you so that they can come to walk in your ways. And Lord, we lift this all up to you today. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.